Welcome to another episode of the Harvest Profit Podcast, where we are communicating with our customers, uh, followers, people who are interested in just learning about Harvest Profit and our journey. And at the end of the day, we don't want to just you know do interviews or share um, share topics. We want to give you kind of a behind the scenes view of our business, you know, our wins and losses, and, and things that you can just get to know more about what we're doing. And learn from uh, learn from us and, and our philosophies and our wins and losses. And so, today we're bringing you another employee interview, and we are interviewing Jake. Uh, Jake Humphrey is one of our software developers who's uh, been with the company for uh, a little over well, almost two years now on a full time basis. But he has worked on the product for longer. He actually worked on the product. He's worked on the product longer than our full time. Develop, our first full-time hire, uh, Jared Christian, which we interviewed a couple of episodes ago. And so welcome to the to the podcast, Jake. Before I even open it up for a conversation, I'm going to, uh, one, throw you under the bus a little bit, and two, I'm going to give you, first, I'm going to give you a compliment. And that is, I talked about Jared being a unique developer and the fact that he's extroverted and he can do marketing stuff and, and go out and talk to customers. And, and you can do that as well, but uh, Jared can do it endlessly. He has an endless amount of enthusiasm and that's pretty unique. <laughs> that's pretty unique for a developer. Um, that's so and true. you and you have developed a skill set that is a little bit unique in it's a lot unique in, in the fact that you can you can do back-end development, so you can code that. You can do database stuff, and you can do front-end in the browser stuff. Uh, but then you you also have gotten quite talented at design. And there's been a couple times where you and I have gotten off track on the design side of things, but you you really have shown a lot of skill and a lot of learning on the the design side of things. And being a small company like we have, you know, we don't have enough work for full-time design talent. And I'll, I'll get more into that uh, in a later episode because that was one of my bigger mistakes that I've made this year is misjudging that. And so there'll be more more of that to come. But I just want to welcome you to the podcast, Jake, and, and thank you for all the work you've done on Harvest Profit. Do you remember off the top of your head when when the first time you would have seen Harvest Profit and, and the code base and started working on it? I believe... The end of 2000 or the summer of 2016. Do you remember when exactly? That's that's exactly when it was 2016, the summer of. That sounds great. Well, after layering on a a couple compliments there, I'm going to talk about one of the one of the first times Jake and I were working intently on Harvest Profit. It was December of 2016. I was just getting ready to kind of do a, a big official launch of Harvest Profit. And so Jake helped me set up a bunch of a bunch of the initial onboarding, the, the payment flows. And then I woke up, didn't get much sleep, but I woke up and emailed our list and opened up the software and said, now you can sign up to buy it. And I think I might have went around the block and went and got a coffee and then came back to my computer. You know, there'd been a couple questions about what we have going on. There'd been quite a bit of traffic to the website, but by about noon or 1230 realized that nobody had signed up and I was feeling pretty dejected and spent a lot of time and money and thought, well, 
turns out this is just going to be a toy for me to use in my consulting. And it turned out that my office was right above where Jake was working. So I walked down there and we started doing some look, some, some digging. And we found that there eight people had signed up that morning for the software and we had grabbed their, our payment processor had grabbed all of the necessary details and their payment information and it was protected, but we just hadn't initiated the payment. And so do you remember that Jake, when I came downstairs and was in a little bit of a panic on, um, why eight people have tried to pay and they haven't been able to pay. I'm guessing you remember that quite well. Yeah. All you had to say was December, 2016. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was, uh, that that was definitely one of my not proudest moments. Uh, So to give a little story behind it all, uh, we had previously set up, a very simple version of a payment processor. And I was just taking over the project from a previous developer uh, that he, he built the initial version. uh, And it was, it it was just when we were setting up the uh, business for farming course. So we had to handle uh, more than one payment model. Yep. And it was, I, I forgot to call us one function. It, it was one line of code and it was, we just weren't charging credit cards. Yeah. We, were, we, were, we were collecting all the information needed uh, in a processor. So it's all secure, but uh, yeah, it was, we just missed one method. Yeah. We, like, we, well. hadn't, we hadn't initiated that. We hadn't initiated the payment against those credentials that we were, you know, Stripe, the, Stripe is our payment processor for anybody that's ever interested in software. We use Stripe. They're, I believe the biggest payment processor. They sec- we never see a credit card number. They handle that, but then we were able to, you know, quote unquote, rerun the job and process those payments. And to complicate things a little more, Josh, who was the owner of Codelation, the the consulting firm, him and I had negotiated an agreement where there was a revenue share. So you and I think there were you know the handful of people that were on the Codelation team at the time. They were due, you, know, you guys were all going to get a little piece of this revenue. So not only was it, you know, was I looking at you like, hey, Jake, what's going on here? But everybody else was, you know, had some skin in the game on that, you know, kind of that first run at Harvest Profit. Yeah, so that's that exactly that, what it was. That it was, was actually, in, it was also during uh, finals week for me, my, oh, my very last yeah. semester of college too. So instead of studying, I was making sure that everybody was getting paid. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I know you had been... Um, You've done a really good job of staying level-headed and calm. You know, there's been some times I remember specifically you were me, you, and Ben. Ben will probably be the next interview here. We were talking about some grain inventory stuff, and I was getting a little frustrated with some of the calculations. It had been a long day, but you've always you've always kept a pretty level head and and. and a funny side story. Ben came to me the other came to me a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, "Man, when Jared and Jake start talking, when they start talking code, you know, he, he's not sure if you guys are are fighting or angry, but it, the, the conversations get pretty spirited, and and both of you guys aren't afraid to push back on each other, and and same with Cody, and same with the other, you know, some of the other outsourced developers we've worked with over the years, but it's it's fun to see passionate people." 
but yet nobody really crosses that line of getting too, you know, too in your face. You all have pride in your work and you have pride in harvest profit in, in general. Um, but it's kind of fun to listen to you guys talk about it because it, sometimes the conversations get a little spirited. Yeah, uh, I actually I feel very lucky to be working with someone like Jared because uh, I do think that he's uh, in a in a sense an opposite to me. Um, you know, here's the throw him under the bus. I don't think he's the greatest designer. Yeah, um, I think he we would all agree, and he would agree. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, he can definitely do some more of the complex programming tasks that where I, I might not necessarily enjoy it. Uh, I can do it sometimes, but it's a lot, he, he finds it a lot more fun to do some of those things. And, uh, along with that, he, he also, he likes to focus on the tools that we use and making sure that our uh, that the platform that we're on is up to date. Uh, these are things that like I've I've not really been very good at doing, and and because of that, he's found some great technologies, uh, things like uh, React, and uh, and making sure like Ruby on Rails is updated. And and I I remember when he first he first pitched the idea of switching over to React. We were using just native JavaScript and this other UI framework called Vue.js, mm-hmm. which um, was, that was kind of a thing that uh, we were using at Codelation at the time. It worked pretty well for the consultancy side of software development. Uh, but for for larger products um, like how Harvest Profit was turning out to be, we needed something that was that that would work better with a larger team and work better with uh, just testing and making making sure everything's working correctly and be performant. And I was very, I I remember going back and forth with with him on it and just trying to figure out if it was the right decision or not. And I mean, in the end, you know, he was working full time at that point, and I was only working on it half time. And so, you know, he eventually won that, that argument. But, uh, as I've, as I've grown to, to learn to work with him, we've kind of figured out our, our boundaries and what, you know, how to work together and to balance our strengths. And, and that, to me, that's, that's made me, it helped me grow a lot. And so it's, it's actually really helped me. Yeah, that's great. I think there's a, a lot of good collaboration in, uh, between you know, between you and Cody and Jake and some of the other people we work with. There's complementary skill sets. There's pretty much overlap across everything. Everybody knows how to do everything, but everybody has their own area of expertise, which I think is really valuable in a in a company our size. Do you want to touch base, Jake, just on how you got interested in in computer development and where you went to school and maybe some things that led to you becoming interested in this whole world of uh, programming and web development? Yeah. Well, um, it sounds kind of odd, but I guess when I started college, you know, I was like anybody else. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and initially I didn't necessarily want to be a programmer, but I figured, you know, I could do anything. And as long as I have a 
four-year degree or a background in programming, it'll probably help me in the end. I could be a firefighter with a programming background and it would probably help me. So that's actually how I started into programming. And uh, somewhere in my first year or two, I really kind of started to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to college at MSUM, it's Minnesota State University of Moorhead, which is near Fargo, North Dakota. And the program there is, it's a good program, but it doesn't teach the web development uh, technologies that like we're using here in Harvest Profit. And so I'm actually all self-taught. And that was, uh, I had met a student at MSUM who was he was a senior, he was like two years older than me and was kind of focusing on this web development stuff and introduced me to that, which is where I kind of started to get accustomed to that. And it wasn't really until I started working at Codelation where I really got like really exposed to it. And, and that's actually where I'm like, that's, that's really where my bread and butter is. I I really enjoy uh, just that, that, that style of programming um, I kind of laugh. It's like this uh, instant gratification thing where when I when I worked at Microsoft, I'd build some code and you couldn't really see what it would do. And you'd, you'd write three or four lines of code. And, you know, by the end of the week, you'd be lucky if it got deployed. And but you don't really see it because there's so many people working on uh, Microsoft's products. Mm-hmm. But with web development, you know, you're, you make one small change and you go over to your web browser and there's the change and something about building in that method, like was really satisfying for me. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's awesome. It's fun to hear, you know, a lot of the modern educational institutions are laying the groundwork for teaching you how to think about programming, but they don't necessarily take a deep dive into modern technologies or modern tools. And I think that's partially due to the fact that there, this technology moves pretty fast and be pretty hard for a big institution to stay on top of all those changes. So I, I don't think it, you know, they're completely at fault, but to be honest, you know, they, there are some things like, you know, mechanical engineering, where the principles of engineering are going to stay, they've stayed the same for a long time. Web development is more dependent on technology. And so they, I think they have dropped the ball a little bit on, on implementing, uh, more quickly implementing some of the, the more modern tools. I don't think, you know, for the longest time, they didn't even teach, you know, iOS development at like NDSU uh, or you know, a lot of the universities around here. And, you know, how long, people have had iPhones in their hand for 10 years now. So that's just oh, yeah. something that is a huge, a huge well, component to our everyday life. And it's, yeah, there, there's plenty of blame to go around, but at the end of the day, there, thankfully there's lots of resources and, and most developers take a lot of pride in the documentation behind these frameworks. And so if you have a baseline level of skills, you know, all of the necessary information for you to learn that is out there and available. Yeah, well, to put some perspective on it, the very first version of Harvest Profit, uh, the one that was only supporting 10 fields, that was before we were using Vue.js. 
Yep. And or right around when we were starting to use Vue.js, but actually when the project was originally built, um, there was no web framework and it was just using native JavaScript or jQuery. Yep. And and so things like React just didn't exist. There's a lot of the tools that we use in our software currently uh, that were not available to us uh, yeah. four or five years ago. And so you can't teach things like that in in college. And you know some of the larger institutions, I think they have dropped the ball. And I I remember when I was at like at college. Uh, I I definitely would talk to my my teachers whenever they started to introduce some of these newer uh, technologies that I was like, no, you guys should really focus more on these things instead of focusing so much on some of these older technologies. They're just things are changing so quickly. And it's I think uh, it's opened up the the floodgates, per se, for uh, for some of these smaller non state college, non-college based programs, things like the the Prime Digital Academy out of Minneapolis, uh, where, you know, you're not going to necessarily get a college degree or anything, but uh, programs like that are, are putting out some really quality programmers and they're doing it, you know, and I think it's like 13 weeks or something. And it's, yeah. it's actually really impressive. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly impressive. And I, I do see that I'm bullish on, you know, maybe non-traditional education. And I do think that a lot of the code schools are starting to realize that, you know, 10, 12 weeks of development isn't enough. And they're giving, you know, giving more back, you know, background in computer science and algorithms and things just outside of, you know, doing if then statements and, and for loops and things and teaching the, the actual code. So it's, it's fun to see. And I, if anybody who's listening to the podcast interested in programming, there's just tons and tons of resources out there. Uh, you, you can hop on code Academy and, and do some HTML and CSS and JavaScript and, and get a start. And there's just endless amounts of, of resources. And if anybody is interested uh, in learning a little bit more about programming and looking for some resources, or just somebody to, to spend 10 minutes on, you know, you can always reach out to people at our team. Uh, you can just email support at harvestprofit.com and it would, it'll end up falling in the lap of, of one of our developers and they'd be happy to, to help you learn. And kind of a funny story for those in the farming world that are listening to this podcast. And Jake mentioned the, the limitations in the earliest version of Harvest Profit and how that came about. I don't think there was like a 10 field limit, but in the test account that I use for Harvest Profit, it was something like 10 or 12. My farm had 10 or 12 fields, you know, a couple thousand acres. It was typical of a Western Minnesota farm, uh, you know, farm, you know, farm sizes from 80 acres to 300 acres, but there just wasn't all that many of them. And so when we started for, when I started logging on our, some of our first customers, some of my consulting clients that were farming, you know, 40, 50, 60 fields, the software was extraordinarily slow. It, it it worked, but sometimes it timed out and we quickly realized that we optimized for the wrong thing. Uh, and so Jake and Brian, who were working on the previous version of the software, had to, we basically had to completely change how we were doing our programming and break it into, you know, what I've talked about a few times, Rails, 
generates an API which pushes data into the front end, which then we use React to you know, manipulate that and display the UI using React. And so rather than having Rails do everything, we broke it out so it would just do, you know, it would just do the heavy lifting on the data and we could use the, you know, build the web, the web page itself with, with something else. And I know that was a, a pretty much the game changer, which moved Harvest Profit from, you know, a night, you know, a piece of software that was fun to play around with in a demo account to, to a piece of software that could accommodate, you know, any size farm from the smallest to the largest. And Jake played a big factor in that. Mm-hmm. And so Jake, I'm gonna, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that for whatever reason, you have been assigned some of the bigger projects in Harvest Profit. We completely rebuilt how we did our backend math in regards to multiple entities. The first version of Harvest Profit it, we supported multiple entities, but if you, let's say you had a dad, Joe, and a son, Steve, if you had Joe's farm and Steve's farm and they split a field 50-50, we would break that field out into two separate fields. And when we're looking to consume data from different uh, precision ag systems, we have those two separate fields, but the precision ag system doesn't think of that as two separate fields. So we had to go back and rebuild all of our calculations, and that was a multi multi-month process to get that done and get that done correctly and make sure it's it's fully tested. So now Harvest Profit supports multiple entities, crop shares, and the, any combination of them, which accounts for the real-world edge cases in farming, and also this grain inventory feature. And, and where I'm going with this is Jake worked on the first version of our grain inventory feature from March of 2017 until... November of 2017, and then we paused it for, um, actually that was in 2018. Yeah, 2018. So March 2018 to November 2018, then we paused it for a few months because we knew we didn't want to release it right during the middle of harvest. And if you remember, Jake, right around that time that we paused it, we had two or three requests for one of our fields pages to allow people to sort alphabetically and to just add a little switch that they could just go from A to Z, from Z to A, and just sort all their fields alphabetically. And how long did it take you to implement that? Uh, I think it was like five minutes or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was next to nothing. <laughs> it was. You just plug it in, you know, style it just to make sure it you know matches the rest of our styles, and boom, boom, we released it, and then. I, there were two or three customers and they were on Twitter. So I just kind of shot them a note and said, Hey, that A to Z sorting is live. And they came back with, Oh, they were so ecstatic. And I remember sharing that with you, Jake on, uh, you know, the farmers were, were so happy to just see this little change. And then here we had spent six or seven months slogging through a massive feature that wasn't even released. And so that, that presents unique you know, we work on a lot of stuff, but I think there's been some eye-opening experiences on what we think the farmers want and what they actually want and what makes them happy sometimes are the little wins. And so I bet that was an eye-opening experience for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was one of those things where I was, after spending so much time on on some of these larger products or projects and then pushing out something that takes five minutes, I was like, really? Like you guys are, 
you you like that like i you know this look at this thing look at all the you know but it, unfortunately a lot of the larger projects are uh it's it's a lot of more like back end stuff you know i you talked about the uh rebuilding the calculations that was that was a really that was a big project there was a lot of of moving parts um and and a lot of things that uh, the product after inheriting the product from brian there's a lot of things that and it's not brian's fault but there was a lot of things that that needed to be fixed um and there was also you know several things that i had programmed in as a as a really quick fix um that also needed to be fixed Uh, we had uh you know I, i actually just joked with jared today about it um about the uh, there was a seventy line query SQL query that would go through and take a snapshot of of a user's account so that we would be able to show uh, what the what their profit and loss statement was the day before and you know it worked for a little while and then Jared started working and then uh, he made a change with uh, something in the database and all of a sudden. The next day we woke up and our 50 gig database was full. Um, and that was because of our snapshot job was it, it just wasn't very documented. And there was, there was uh, it's not the right way to program basically. And so going through and, and fixing some of those things in this, in this calculations project uh, by correcting a lot of those things, it's, it's been able to, uh, First off, it was able to make our calculations snappier. Mm-hmm. And so uh, being able to change something on one page and seeing it immediately reflected on the profit and loss statement, yep. rather than waiting for uh, the calculations to finish calculating everything, uh, it just does it like really quickly. And then being able to uh, you know, see like landlord reports and being able to see product breakdowns and things like that. Uh, we're all possible based off of this, but the amount of work that went in compared to that small feature, if, you know, if you ask like, oh, I want to see the product breakdown for just this category, um, you know, that doesn't sound like a big feature, but the amount of effort that went into it was definitely, uh, there was definitely a lot of effort there, but then, you know, you go over to the, the field sorting thing and that was, it, it was like literally five minutes and then you know, sometimes that's, you know, users like that a little bit more, but yeah, I know uh, when you, when you had yeah. finished up working on the first version of our grain inventory feature, it was fun because you spent probably a week or two weeks jumping into, you know, our backlog of ideas that we have and just picking off a few of the, a few of the quick wins so we can, so we can keep putting out improvements and enhancements and not just having them be these big foundational changes. You know, how I think about how I think right. about Harvest Profit is, you know, it's a we've built a we built a strong foundation. And, you know, maybe the first foundation in, in Fargo, there's this company that builds houses with wood foundations, actually. And um, the first version of Harvest Profit, you know, a wood foundation will last, you know, the houses that they started building those decades ago and they're still around and they're still fine. But I would say that's probably not something you're, it's probably not going to be a multi-hundred year house. And so uh, 
we, we jacked up the house and we put a, you know, when we split it into the front end and back end, you know, we put in a concrete foundation. Well, then this multiple, this mul- yeah, full size, complete basement, yeah, too. full size, <laughs> complete basement. Well, you know, then it turns out maybe the foundation was, uh, you know, maybe there was a little crack in it when we had this, mul- you know, how we were handling multiple entities. So we, you know, we lift up the house, which is made of the features, and then we fix the, you know, we repair the foundation and put the house back down. And now we can, you know, we can remodel the house or add new rooms to it, but you, you need to have a strong foundation. And one of the things that when you build something at a consulting firm and you build something with a limited budget, you have to move fast. When you move fast, more than likely you're going to have a weak foundation. And so that's where, you know, Jared's emphasis yeah. on, you know, making sure we're always up to date on our framework. You know, we've upgraded to uh, version six of, of Ruby on Rails, which is the most current version. And just keeping the keeping the foundation strong is something that I I think that we can afford to do now because we have, you know, we have three to four full time people working on the on the software versus just having, you know, a consultant or a consulting firm just make band aid fixes. And so that's that's one thing that I really am excited about is we can invest weeks and months into foundational changes uh, that, that we know are an improvement for the software, even if the, even if the customers don't see them. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. I mean, uh, one of my, the, my favorite moments working with Harvest Profit was, and I think it was right after uh, that first sprint with, the grain inventory feature, uh, I went back and I rebuilt a few pages that were still working in Vue.js or even just working in, in or built in just standard rails and built them into React and restyled them so that they were all the same style as as all the other pages. And and I think that was I think that was the the time period where where users probably saw the the biggest amount of changes, you know, we got rid of the darker sidebar and and things like that. Um, and to me, that was really cool because working at at a software consultancy, you're very correct. It's 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 not about just moving fast, but it's it's mostly building features. You're constantly building features, and there's no time for you to go back and correct your mistakes. And there's also no time to go back and and really worry about the code that you wrote and worry about oh someone else has to has to look at this code someone else has to you know try to figure out how to add another feature to this and so a big focus that we've been been working on is making sure our previous code is is good quality code that it's readable and it's tested and so we could have, you know, we could hire an intern and have the intern look through things and and say, yeah, try to build this feature. And if you break it, you know, our tests, our tests will fail. So you'll know that uh, that, you know, it's not it's not working correctly. And you can kind of, you know, learn a little bit from it. And, and you know, it promotes good yeah, quality code. Definitely. Does. So. That was just one of those my my like the really exciting points, and even you know rebuilding our our PDFs. You know there was nothing wrong with our PDFs before, but if you went and uh, 
tried to read the code that was generating them, it was mm-hmm. it was terrible. And so I, I remember spending a week building a, a, a separate uh, uh, open source package for generating PDFs in a very readable way. And and now, you know, our PDFs are tested. Our, our, you know, anybody can build these PDFs because they're, you know, the code is almost exactly identical to the code that generates our profit and loss statement, yep. for example. Um, just doing things like that were, you know, at a at a software consultancy, yep. it's unheard yep. of um, when every hour is billable. Well, yeah, so. your, your work on the PDFs has been great. I know that's and that's one of the things that I emphasized from the start was we need to have PDF reports. And I know Brian, the first developer that worked on Harvest Profit, who's a uh, an excellent developer, he did not like working on the PDFs. They were a pain. Um, he didn't necessarily need PDFs in any of the stuff that he used personally. So he maybe didn't see the value in it. But me talking to farmers, knowing how farmers think, they want PDF reports to share with you know, siblings, parents, spouses, partners, lenders, you know, consultant. So I, I knew that was a, a core feature that we needed to build from the start versus some other farm software, some other farm software. Yeah, I, I remember Brian talking about it. Some other farm software that I've seen, you know, they maybe didn't emphasize those PDF reports, you know, upfront because that wasn't, you know, that wasn't something that they thought the farmer absolutely mm-hmm. needed upfront. And, and that's not everybody, but I know there's been some, some products like that. And so, um, just not to not to cut you off, but we've been rambling. We've been talking quite a bit about the software. Let's jump into let's jump into some uh, you know some things outside of the scope of this. And and I, I guess the first thing is you work you know you've worked in our office. You've you've been around full time here in, in Fargo, but now you live in Minneapolis. You work remote. And uh, what do you say so far? You know, what do you like about working remote and what do you not like about working remote? Um, what I like about working remote is, uh, well, you know, there's the obvious things of, you know, make your own hours and, you know, wake up and go to work when you want kind of things. But it, honestly, our that's really how our entire company kind of works. You know, uh, you know, if I was, if I was in Fargo, um, you know, I, I, Jared usually comes into the office pretty late and, and it's like, yeah, if you take a Wednesday off, maybe you work a Saturday mm-hmm. or something, you know, like stuff like that. It's about getting your stuff done. Um, but aside from those, I, I enjoy it's, it's, I never really was able to get a whole lot of work done actually at the office. There's, there's so many distractions. There's so many things where, you know, if you have, you know, you're writing a a piece of code and you're trying to figure out like, Oh, is this the right way to do this or not? It's so easy to just, you know, go over to the other programmer and just ask them. But the amount of, the amount of effort, the amount of uh, potential work that is lost in those little moments like that is, it's, it's so much more, you know, just, it's not just the, the two minute conversation you just had. It's also the five minutes to 10 minutes that it takes to get refocused back into work. And so, uh, I've, I've really, really enjoyed being able to work remote and just, you know, my, my entire mornings, you know, I put my phone on do not disturb and I try not to like answer slack. I don't, I try not to look at like anything else. And I'm like, I've got this project and I'm going to punch it out. And, um, basically just spend four hours of really deep concentrated work. 
um, which I, yeah, I really I, like that. I think that. that makes a lot of sense um, because I, you know, for instance, today I got up at 5.45. I worked from home, you know, I had a cup of coffee and I worked until about 7.30 and then I kind of got ready, came to the office, got here a little bit after nine. So at that time, you know, I'd put in three hours of work already and uh, did that yesterday. And then normally it's early afternoon now. Normally I'd, I take a couple hours in the afternoon. Yesterday I, I went to the gym and I, I went and saw my dad who had a, he got in an accident earlier this year. So I've been helping out a lot with him. And so basically we're trying to set up a, I'm trying to set up a culture on here where let's just get our work done and, and, but, but still develop a, a good team, a rapport, but coming in at eight and leaving at five. And if you're here by eight fifteen, you know, why were you late? That's just not, not productive to me. And so I think, yeah, you know, I think you've done a, uh, you know, a great, a great job with that. And, you know, don't necessarily, you know, I don't expect, you know, if you're in the, if you're in the flow for, you know, uh, four hours in the morning and just hammering through stuff, you know, there isn't, you know, a person doesn't necessarily need to work, you know, 40 or 50 hours a week. But, you know, given how we kind of structure the company here, there's a lot of investment, you know, everybody's invested in the, in the future well-being of Harvest Profit and our product and our customers. And so, yeah, you know, feel free to do whatever you can to, you know, if you can squeak out five or six hours of super productive time per day and then, you know, just kind of be available the other, you know, the other handful of hours a day, I think that's a, a great path forward for us. I can't look, for instance, I came in the office this past Saturday morning and, you know, turned on the fireplace, turned on the music and just, you know, no distractions. I worked for a couple hours and got a lot of stuff done. And so that's what we're trying to really set up our business for. And I think, I think you, you out of anybody yeah. and partially because Jared, you out of anybody, <laughs> you get into the, fl- you get into a really productive flow state. And I, I've seen you when you were get when you get working on something, you can, you can get a lot done um jared's probably better at and he's forced to be used to more distractions and more questions because he's in the office um but as we grow and as cody comes on full-time it's going to be nice to maybe have him be kind of the the lead for the support so jared can can share in the deep work that you you know that that you try to that you prioritize jared doesn't necessarily have that luxury uh Unfortunately, but I, I know yeah. that being a small business, that's the nature of the beast. As we add more people, I think we can be deliberate about giving people their their uh, their time um, for that flow. Because in, in software development, you just when you're when you're in this state of flow, you're probably five or ten times as productive as if you you know have somebody stop by your office you know four times an hour. Yeah. Well, it's, and I will say this, and, and this is partially answering the, the other side of your remote question. Um, it is a learned yep. skill. I will say that. Um, when I first started uh, working remote, I, I really had an issue with it. Um, I could not work from home. There's, there's way mm-hmm. too many distractions at home. Uh, there are a few moments when I'd just be working late at night on a project that I could you know, I'd, I'd hit that flow state, but it was very difficult to find that flow state. And my schedule was being, it was all over the place. You know, I remember like 
yeah, go to bed at 4 a.m. and then start working again at noon and just these really weird schedules. And um, and it, it took a while. And now it's I, I keep to a pretty strict schedule. You know, I try to I you know, I always have to go somewhere else to work. Um, I start work at nine and and it is like those first four hours are my flow state. And sometimes like even like today that I mean, that went all the way to uh that was like, you know, 1, 1 p.m. And, you know, I was still in that flow state. I was like, I, I, I was like, oh, I, you know, I have mm-hmm. to leave. I didn't realize how late it was. Um, but then, like, there's other days where, like, I just, you know, I'm just not hitting my stride and stuff. And, and I usually hit the gym. Like, I'll just go to the gym at, like, around 1 p.m. or whatever. And I'll take, like, the middle part of the day more or less off, you know, my phone is always on me. And, and, you know, if I get a Slack message or, uh, if there's like something with support, like I'm kind of at that point where I'm like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll drop anything, um, to, to handle it. It's, you know, it might take me like 20 minutes to half an hour before, like I can, you know, get Mm -hmm. to my laptop if I'm at the gym. But, um, for the most part, like that's kind of what I stick to, but I've really found that it's helpful for remote workers to uh, to try to kind of plan out what they're working on. You know, I've got a couple of base camp projects of just things that like if I have a few yeah. moments and I'm not doing anything, you know, here's a small thing that I can change that um, that I, I need to fix or whatever. And um, and so when it comes down to those those the deep work moments, the 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 worst thing that you could do is you know, if you have four hours of deep work planned and you get the four hours that you had planned done in the first hour, which well, when you when you start to get really good at some of this stuff, um, it actually kind of tends to happen. You can produce a lot of work. You, you could produce those four hours of work in that one hour. And the worst thing that could happen is you don't have anything mm-hmm. else planned for the rest of that time. So you need to have, you know, like, additional things that you could potentially work on things that are, you know, not a large project, but maybe just like a small little UI tweak here or there. And then, you know, those are the days where I have, you know, five or six, uh, code changes that get deployed to production, you know? Um, so that's, like I said, that's kind of like the learned skill side of it. Um, yeah. Yep. That's awesome. I know you've done a yeah you've done a great job and and keep up the keep up the good work there. Speaking of remote work, you worked how long were you in it Germany was, this summer? Two we'll months. Say two months. Weeks? I think it was a little bit more than two months. But yeah, I, I spent uh, most of it. I it was at this this hostel. Everybody called it home that visited it. It was kind of funny. Um, it was just this great little hostel, and uh, yep. that was really me putting the uh, you know. What was the it's name called of the hostel? East I don't know Seven. if I ever looked that up. I want to look it up. Um, yep, it's in Berlin. East Seven Hostel. Um, okay, yeah, people, it, anybody that like visited, awesome. they, you know, most most people traveling Europe at you know during the summer months, they're kind of on the schedule of visiting a city for about three days and and then kind of moving on. Most most people would would visit and stay at that hostel, sure. and it'd be like. Oh, I was supposed to be here, you know, for three days and they extended their trip for like 10 days. Like I, it was just like this nice little area. Um, 
Yeah, that was me testing. Did you sleep in a? Did you sleep in a in a share? How many people were in the same um, room? There were. I, I usually stayed in the four bed dorms, but uh, towards the end of the trip, I just stayed at the in the the eight bedroom dorms, which those weren't quite as easy. Like I I didn't usually work from the the room. Um, but there was a few times when like the lobby would get a little bit too crazy and stuff. So, uh, the, that's where like the four bed dorms, you could just kind of like hole yourself up in there and get some work done. How quiet is it in there when you're trying to sleep? Like I've, I've never stayed in a, a hostel with strangers. And to be honest, it doesn't sound overly exciting to me at, well, at this point in my life, when I was younger, definitely would have uh, should have done it. I'm just curious on what, what was that experience like? Like, yeah, well, sleeping, do people yeah. sleep? Like, do they, res- is it, is there like, well, so first off, does, Berlin is a very work? late night city. So, you know, there were occasionally people that would, you know, come home at 6am, you know, the, the bars don't close there. There's clubs that on the weekends go from, uh, Friday night to Monday morning and they just don't close, you know, yep. uh, not that I did any of that, you know, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. but actually the, the eight bed dorms were, uh, everybody was a lot more polite in those. And so you wouldn't have someone come in and barge in and be loud or anything. Uh, so you could generally sleep pretty decent there. The four bed dorms, because it was so small, like you ended up just meeting your roommates. And then like anytime your roommate would walk in and see that you were awake or whatever, they would like try to talk to you. So sure. those are actually a little bit more uh, distracting than, than the, uh, the larger dorm rooms. Yeah. It's interesting. How, uh, what is it? English speaking in Germany? You know, I've, I've been to, I've been to a couple different countries in Europe this past year. Um, just what's it like in Germany as far as, you know, getting acclimated to the, the environment as a, as an American. Uh, I really liked it. Um, I had gone to, I had also visited Prague. So I'll use that as kind of like a, a two different uh, basis points here. Uh, German engineering it's just impressive. Uh, I Berlin has like the best public transportation system ever that I've ever personally used. Uh, their streets and everything. It was very easy to understand where you were. I hardly actually ever used a map. I've always been pretty good at navigation, mm-hmm. but I could not navigate in Prague. Prague was very difficult. But uh, uh, so it's primarily English speaking. Um, there's a lot of people that speak German as well, but in terms of German, uh, it shares a lot of cognates with in the English language. Sure. So it shares a lot of the, wor- the same words or, uh, words that almost sound the same. Yep. And so you could, you could kind of get by, uh, going, living, uh, when I was in Prague, it was very, it, I couldn't even pronounce the street name that my, uh, Airbnb was on, like it was just kind of ridiculous and you just kind of had to figure out like, well, you turn right here and then you go down this really windy road and then you take a left here 
go across this plaza and then that's where the Airbnb is. Uh, it was just that it was kind of hard to, to navigate there, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I personally think that like Berlin was one of the most livable cities that I've been able to, to, to travel to there. How much does a beer cost there? Um, you could get a quality, you know, it's, it's German beer. So like, this is like, you know, the, the same as a Drecker beer or some, some craft brewery, like a really nice beer for, uh, it's like, I literally like a Euro. It's ridiculous. It's cheaper than their bottled water. Wow. What is a, <laughs> you know, if a, if a burger, if a burger in the U S co- at a restaurant costs eight bucks, $8, what is that same burger cost in Germany? Um, in terms of burgers or, you know, just food yeah. kind of food in general, is it about the same as the U S or is it, it is actually about the same. Yeah. I would say, yeah, it's really just the, the biggest thing, the biggest eye opener for me was that water isn't free. So you can't go to a restaurant and ask for water. Like you have to pay for oh, it. Oh wow! Yeah. And they also, they have like sparkling water is really, really popular there. It's really weird. You'll ask for water and they'll like, do you want it sparkling or not? And uh, you know, when I first showed up there, I was like, what, is, what, like, what do you mean by sparkling water? And it's just carbonated water, but uh, does, does yeah, people really enjoy water, it there. I just don't get that. It, to me, it does nothing to quench my thirst. I don't know of what the, yeah, you know that the, the sparkling yeah, water kind of upsets US, your stomach. Yeah, I know. Well, the sparkling water in the U.S. is kind of caught, you know, caught on this, you know, low carb flavored sparkling water. I think we actually have. Well, we that's flavor. Our, we actually have some in our fridge. I'm going to try some at the office today and just re- remind it, myself how terrible it tastes. Yep. It is flavored. Yeah. In in Germany, it's just, it's not flavored. It's just carbonated water. Hang on. Hang on one second. I'll be back in, I'll be back in 10 seconds. I'm going to walk out of my office and I'm going to go see if there's one in the fridge and I'm going to try it right here on the podcast. Hang on. Oh boy. All right, I'm back. I have grabbed my orange LaCroix that I'm going to try on the air here. <laughs> so orange LaCroix water. Let's see if it tastes good. Well, I was going to think it was going to be a, a one out of a scale of one to ten. It's more like a four. I. Hmm. It's not. It's not terrible. It's going, yeah, it, it definitely doesn't quench my thirst. I don't, I don't really, see, I'd much rather, if I'm going to have a, a low calorie drink, I'd rather have a diet soda. Anyway, I'm drinking an orange LaCroix. Yeah. We'll see if I finish it up. So. Yeah. Well, like I said, they, their, their water, it's their sparkling water. It's unflavored. It's just carbonated water. Yeah. It's like the weirdest, it, it almost has like, it's cold, but when you drink it, it almost has like this weird, like warm warming effect or it's it's just a really really odd 
thing to drink, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and there's more, more than one time where you'd go to the grocery store and you'd get, they have like water and then they have mineral water and, and you want to get the mineral water sometimes cause that's the normal water and the just normal water is sparkling. And then other times it's like vice versa. And it, there's been a couple of times where I'm like, I got the wrong water bottle and it's just like, you know, you have to just like bear with it, but I guess so there's a lot of people out there that, you know, don't like, I like having a beer every once in a while. And I guess there's a lot of people that don't like, don't like beer. So that's like me drinking this LaCroix right now. It's, in, well, in, in, it's an, aqu- you, it's an aquarium. You can't live in Germany without liking, you can't live in Germany without, without liking beer. I mean, in Berlin, uh, the entire city doesn't have open container laws. Yeah, so yeah. it's very common for you to, to go to a bar and ask for a beer to yeah. go. Next time you're in town, Jake, we will, I'm going to get a couple more microphones for those people that, you know, obviously you you don't know, you listen to the podcast. We recorded the first couple episodes. We have a little makeshift studio in our office with some, you know, they're not expensive. They're these hundred dollar microphones, but they, they're pretty high quality. That's what the first four episodes have been recorded on today. Jake and I are doing it remote. Um, I'm in Fargo, West Fargo, North Dakota. Where are you, Jake? I'm in White Bear Lake. Jake is in White Bear Lake. North St. Paul. We're recording this remote. We've had some issues. We actually have our computers muted and we're talking on our cell phones and both recording this at the same time because one of us had, uh, we don't know which one, had some internet connection, connectivity issues earlier. And funny, we've been talking now for 50 some minutes and we've had no issues. (laughs) So once we we put the backup plan in place, we have had have had no issues. But where I'm going with that is, uh, you know, we're both recording remote, so it might sound a little different. But the next time you're in the office, Jake, we're going to have to get a, we'll get a, a six pack of some really high end German beer. And we will, I'm going to get a couple more microphones so we can have four or five people sitting around a table. And we will, uh, we'll have a little Harvest Profit happy hour with some good German beer that you can, that you can pick out for us. Speaking of your traveling, do you have, any new trips planned or any longer term things, any, any uh, kind of working remote overseas adventures on your to-do list? Well, um, I've been kind of, uh, kind of thrown around this idea of going to uh, Costa Rica or Panama or, or a country around there somewhere uh, for this winter for a few, for a few weeks, you know, right when it gets really, really bad. Um, you know, you know, I can work, you know, I've kind of proved that I can work wherever I more or less want. So, you know, why, uh, why, why do I have to deal with another like Midwest winter? Um, yeah, I saw, I watched these shows on these Caribbean life where they go to these warm weather destinations and they look to buy a house. And so I, I've, her, the, well, the last one I watched was on Boca's, like Boca's del Toros in Panama. And then so I stumbled upon, so I just Googled around a little bit and, and just to see what that place was like. And there was a woman who had traveled to a bunch of these areas, just traveling all over. And she had stopped in South America and the Caribbean. And she went to Boca's del Toros in Panama and she said everybody loves it, but she it was something was just missing for her. And her 
where she fell in love with was this little island of Utila, Utila, Honduras, which is very close to Panama. And mm-hmm. um, that there's, there's Utila and then there's Roatan. I, I, I would suggest she made it sound like it was a, just a, a really awesome experience. And so, yeah, I'll be living mm-hmm. vicariously through you. So yeah, you'll have to yeah, post all sorts a, of pictures. I have a, a, a fun thing I was experimenting. If anybody's read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, um, he suggests uh, this concept of getting a, a virtual assistant. Yeah. Um, and so I actually ended up going, finding this company online uh, and getting a virtual assistant. And effectively it's just someone who in this case works in India and can basically handle anything. You know, these are people that uh, uh, if you want them to send an uh, apologetic email to your wife they can do that on behalf of you it's 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 like anything um you want them to do almost and uh so i i have i've been having them do some pre preliminary research on some of these locations of where i want to travel and kind of have them uh look up prices of where uh of of housing and and travel and and kind of like getting a rental car and stuff in that area yeah that's Uh, awesome those are the things that i really don't like to do but uh so it's nice to kind of hand it off to someone and do that which is kind of funny well i say now you know do it now that you can that's that's awesome and i i I look for i hopefully hopefully you you cement something here in the next couple weeks and you can share it with us and i can i can do a bunch of google searching and pretend that i'm you so that'll be that'll yeah well be fun I mean, the whole my my whole two month journey in in Germany. I, I bought my tickets the like a month before I left, and I really didn't have anything planned. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> planning planning is not like my my greatest forte in terms of travel. <laughs> you pick a destination so that I can just pretend that I'm gonna you know pretend that I'm gonna be going there. Too, so. <laughs> but you know, Jake, I really thankful to have you uh, on our team at Harvest Profit. I think we have a you know, we're never going to be the biggest company. You know, number of employees isn't a isn't a key performance indicator at Harvest Profit. You know, more isn't better, bigger isn't better. Um, but really, am thankful that you are uh, with us uh, at Harvest Profit. I know, um, I I have this philosophy where you you don't necessarily poach pe- you don't you don't want to poach people from from uh, friendly companies. You know, you had left Codelation to go do something else, and then, you know, it turned out that, uh, you know, you kind of came back to Harvest Profit and, and mentioned that you would you wanted to do some more work with us, and so that, you know, we we started as a part time, you know, part time contract deal, and now you're a full time employee and a kind of a, a pretty much a senior member of the team here. So appreciate, you know, thankful to have you on the team. You know, look forward to keep working together. You're doing great work, and if for any customers that have listened to this podcast. All the way to the end, you know. Thank you. That's maybe a, a lot to ask when we've been chatting here for an hour, but I do think that <laughs> Jake will be interacting with more and more people, whether it's uh, customers, partners, and, and just trying to make sure that we stay in tune to what the market wants. And so, yeah, you'll be hearing from Jake again. He'll probably lead a couple of these podcasts as we're going to share new features as well. So, Jake, just want to thank you for joining me and thank you for the work that you do for us. And uh, 
look forward to continue to work with you. And then I uh, look forward to beating the crap out of you the next time we play, we play bags. So get ready. Ha, you wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. We'll maybe record, maybe we'll do a video podcast of, uh, of playing bags the next time you're, you're in town. So we'll, uh, <laughs> All right. we, we will keep in touch and, and have a good rest of your day, Jake. And once again, thank you for the work you do here. Yeah, and thank you for uh, all the opportunities that that you and Harvest Profit has has given me. I mean, most of the stuff that I've been doing in the last year, even, is just not possible for for a lot of people uh, working in any other job. You know. So, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, thank you. We have the common sense rule here, so as long as you're doing a good job working, keep it up and and do it wherever you'd like. Don't get just keep yourself out of too much trouble when you're overseas. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. We'll, we'll talk to you later. The common sense. Sounds right. good. Thank you. All right.